One of the ways in which the scripture portrays our heart is as a garden or a plot of ground. And what God says are as seeds. His words, his word and his words are as seeds planted in the garden of our heart. And one of the things the Lord does, which often his people are not aware of, is he does new things. You say, well, of course I know that. Oh, no, no. I mean new things in a sense that it hasn't entered into your mind to even ask God to do it. That he wants to come to your heart in such a way that he breaks up fallow ground, he breaks up ground that um, hasn't been tilled by him, and he brings forth in your life things which you could not have seen yourself doing. I mean, you didn't even picture it or imagine it. Now unto him, Ephesians 3.20, who was able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And many times, without realizing it, we're circumscribed with, within a, a um, we're like corralled within a, and, and with boundaries. And we're corralled into a, um, an area that's not really what the Lord has for us. What he has is more. And things that we think, well, I just don't have the kind of personality to be da-da-da-da-da. And it never enters into our head to think that um, God would have something new for us that he's planned before he even created anything. And many times we think, well, my personality is like this, it's not like that. But sometimes, now, this is a word we need to hear. Sometimes things that we think are just simply our God-given personality are not. They are, um, it's, it's really timidity because of lies you believe about yourself. Okay? And it's not really you. So you're used to that, thinking that way and having certain emotions and, and running into something and um, it's just like, well, I can't operate in that area. There's nothing there. I mean, if I could, I would. And you don't realize that it has to do with the way you perceive yourself and how you think. None of us were born in heaven. None of us were raised by angels. All of us lived here on earth. And our life experiences told us in many ways who we are. Now, when you're born again, your spirit man is born again, not your mind. Not the thoughts, all the deep thoughts that you think about yourself. Because, I mean, we all think, well, I'm this and I'm not that. And God says, will you let me tell you who you are? Now, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all, you, you can go right down the line in every gifting there is and say, no, they're not. But you know, D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists in this nation, he was like the Billy Graham of his era. He was selling shoes. 
he was selling shoes in a shoe store. And he did not picture himself being what he became. Smith Wigglesworth, who's ever heard of him here? Okay. His wife, they had like what they called a mission church, a mission. And that was, I mean, that's in some places of the country, like out in California or in cities, they have them. And they don't really call themselves a church. They may meet on off days, and they usually minister to the broken a lot. And they have services and outreach things. Okay. And oftentimes, churches come together and run these missions. Well, as if, if I'm remembering right, that's, what, that's the kind of ministry they had. But he couldn't talk. I don't think he could read. I think his wife had to teach him to read. Is that true? Yeah. And he was a plumber. He did not see himself as an apostle going into nations and opening up with the gospel and thousands and thousands coming to his meetings and tremendous healing. He, did not, he, did, he didn't see any of that. That wasn't on his radar. In fact, he couldn't talk publicly. He couldn't do it. He would just get up and stammer. And um, there was a move of God going on in a Church of England church Anglican Church, Church of England, and he went there. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, um, I mean, God met him big, met him really big. He was very hungry. He was often, um, I think more so in the earlier days, he was not known um, particularly for his um, great people skills. Um, he, he could be rather blunt. Okay. Um, he did things like kick people and they would be healed. Or punch them and they would be healed. Now, you don't do that unless you're Smith Wigglesworth. And, you know, or God tells you to. I ain't never punched anyone and I'm not planning on it. If God would tell me to, I, I think I would, but he's never told me to. So I have no intention of doing that. That's crazy. I mean, you know, I, you know you're going to get punched back. You know, well, he did it and they'd get healed. He'd do it, and people would get mad at him and ready to attack him, and the, but the guy would get up and he'd be healed. I mean, what are you going to do then? You know, so that was Smith. I mean, what on earth, you know? Who would ever think you'd be doing that? Now, can you think, can you accept that there are things that you're created for from the womb that hasn't even entered into your head, and you can look at your personality right now and say, nope, 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 nope. Now listen, there are, it is true, there are some things with your God-given personality. I mean, it's true. That, so, you know, you won't end up doing this, but your personality lends itself to this, and it's not because you're limited by your personality. You know you're you, uniquely formed and created the way God wanted you to be this, to go in that direction, and not this, what do you mean, as you follow the Lord, to, to express Him in that way. Yes, that's a truth. But I started out saying that all of us, you know, were formed here on earth, not in heaven. So there's things perhaps we could have missed in our forming, and in our own thinking about who I am. Will you allow yourself to take the inner image, like it's a piece of paper, and, and the picture that's drawn on it of how you see yourself, will you allow yourself to submit that to Jesus and tell him to write on it whatever he wants. And don't tell him what it's going to be. 
and what you can do and can't do. I've known of people in times of the moving of the Spirit of God, he spoke to them and said, you shall, excuse me, you shall da-da-da-da-da-da. And then they told me about it. And they was like, I mean, God told me this, but I have no idea. I'm like, what, what, what? I remember years ago, and I, I didn't know how to encourage that person. I figured, well, God's talking to him. But, I, but I, you know, you need to say, well, why aren't they connecting with it? What does God want to minister to them so that they do? I'm getting a little wiser. It's good to ask why a lot. Not rebelliously, why, you know. <laughs> you know but why is this going on? If you just speak to the outward, you're probably not doing any good. I mean, I know there's things that have to be controlled and stuff like that. Stop that now. I mean, I don't care why you're doing it. Just stop it. You know what I mean? You know. And, um, but we, we need to know why. So this is kind of a little different message. I've never talked about this before. I don't even think it ever entered my head to talk about it this way. I'm going to take a little drink here. And Something's turning my pages. I lost entirely. I'm in Matthew. I was in Isaiah. It's, just, it's, it's fine, but I'll find Isaiah again in a minute. I just went up another chapter in Matthew. Hmm. Here we go. Back to Isaiah. Let's find Isaiah. And I've got several. I love Isaiah. It's one of my favorite books. Of course, I say that about a lot of books, actually. Now, come on, you rascal. I know you're right here. I know you're right here. Okay, Isaiah 48. Verse, verses 6 and 7. It really starts out the second part of the verse. Okay. Second part of the verse, Isaiah 48, verse 6 says, I proclaim to you new things from this time. Can you pick it up where it is there? I'm not starting the first few words or the first sentence or two. I'm picking up in the middle where it says, I, I'm reading out of the New American Standard. And I didn't even check this with the NIV or the King James or some of the other translations in New Living. Sometimes I do that, check it in other translations too. I proclaim to you new things from this time, even hidden things which you have not known. Oh, isn't that interesting? Hidden things which you haven't known. Oh, could there be something about God's will for my life I don't know? <laughs> could there be things that have been hidden from me? Okay? They are created now, not long ago, and before the day you have not heard them. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? That's God. That's God. Why would it be that a person is called to operate, to live and walk with Jesus in a certain way, a certain understanding, so that it's natural for them, for certain gifting to come out from them? What is it that would cause them to not even know that, to not even think it? And if you'd ask them, they may say, mm, that's not me.
I have a couple of thoughts. One is in Isaiah 49. This is, kind, this is different for me. It really is. But, but the Lord's after something. And I want to see him get it. There's treasure in us. And I want to see him get it. You know, I was, I was in a meeting one time teaching um, in a, a, a woman's aglow meeting. And I was t talking on hearing God's voice. And did a little bit of teaching. And we went through different exercises. And on the one exercise, um, it was, um, Lord, how do you see me? What do you have to say about my heart? And so I, I had them pray that. I had them pray different things and then listen to the Lord and then share what they got. And when I prayed that, I figured, well, I'm going to do it too. I'm not just going to tell them, you know. I'll get back to my thought in a minute about what can keep us and hinder us so that we don't really know things that God has for us and doesn't even enter into our head. So I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But when I prayed, Lord, how do you see my heart? I saw a treasure chest. Now, when I say I saw it, um, picture a treasure chest in your head. Just picture one. And picture it open full of gems and, and gold and silver pieces and stuff and necklaces and whatever. And it's, it's, I mean, it's full, full, really full. Well, that's about how I saw it. It was on the screen of my imagination. Okay, and it wasn't, it, 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 I don't think it was any stronger than what you're picturing, if you are picturing it right now. And it probably wasn't any stronger than that. But I asked the Lord, Lord, how do you see my heart? And this thought with, with sort of a picture of a treasure chest came in. And I've learned years ago that that's a way that God talks, one of the ways he does in pictures. There's pictures all through the Bible. They're word pictures. Okay, to stir your imagination so your heart can enter into it and feel and see it. You know, God speaks through pictures. It's all through the Bible. It talks about in, in, in Acts chapter 2 in the outpouring of the Spirit. It's for all, all of humanity. It's, 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 it's not just the prophets and the kings, but it's, it's even on the, the, the bond servants, the bond slaves and the handmaidens. Do you know what that was? Those were the people who ran out of money or never did have it, and they had to indenture themselves to someone else just to live and to be a servant for so many years. They were called the lowest segment of society. And God would pour out his spirit, the fullness of his spirit on them. That's what that word's talking about. Okay, he would pour his spirit out, out on them and, and that all of his followers would have dreams and visions and they would prophesy. That's part of the normalcy of what we have in walking with Jesus, isn't it? That's just part of the what's normal and it's for everyone. So God does speak in, in I call them mini visions or impressions. It's like the lowest level of a vision that there is and I don't despise it. I get them quite often. And a lot of my ministry comes from that. And I just learned to trust my spirit. Did you hear that? I learned to trust my spirit. Paul talked about who, you know, he talked about in Romans 1, he talked about God whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son. Or whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel. And he said, my spirit. So how did he know what to do as an apostle? Well, God put things in his spirit and he trusted that. And he obeyed and walked out on that. That's interesting, isn't it? So I saw this treasure chest, and, and the thoughts started coming to me. I said, your heart is like this. And in your heart, I've put gifts. I've put encounters for other people. I've put faith 
and I will take you and put you here, here, and here. And I'll open up the treasure chest and others will encounter me. These gifts will come out. There'll be impartation. And he's telling me these things. Okay? Did I really have faith for all that? I mean, in measure, I was seeing it happening. But as far as seeing myself doing that to the extent that he was telling me, to that extent, and seeing Holy Spirit show up and do those things, no, I really wasn't. Will you let God tell you who you are? And don't say, here's my personality. Sorry, God, no. Wow, this, this is something, isn't it? I'm not telling you he's going to, I'm not telling you you now have to do things that God doesn't want you to do, and so you're stuck on your own trying to do it. No, that's pathetic. I'm talking about being close and hidden things of things that have been hidden from you, of what he's designed you to be and to do, and, that, and you'll love it. God giving you freedom, seeing it, things you had, didn't even think about to ask him for. Now unto him who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church. Okay? That's what it says. Isn't that? That's Ephesians 3, 20 21. Yeah. That's real, isn't it? So let's look at some reasons why, perhaps, we would be corralled in a corral that the Lord hasn't given us. That's not really the boundaries. Look, look, I want to be like Abraham who went to the land of his inheritance and God said, I'm going to show you. Well, he said, well, come out from, you know, the land you're living in now and I'll, wait, this, whatever here, you know. That, that's my bookmark, okay. Now I'm somewhere else in Isaiah. Whoop, there we go. Okay, so he said, come out from where you are and I will show you a land. And he never built anything in that land, did he? But he would go all around. God showed him all the borders of the land. And, and God revealed to him that which was his, that he would live in and his descendants would live in. Okay, he got it by revelation. God said, I'll show it to you. And he would go so far in that land and he'd build an altar and worship the Lord. When the Lord showed him, this is one of your boundaries or this is one of the areas within the boundaries of what I've given you. He'd build an altar and he would receive that and worship the Lord there. Yeah, this is mine. And he'd do that again and again and again. How about we say to the Lord, Lord, do that with me. How about we say to the Lord, that's in the Bible because that's how you work with your children. And so I read myself into Abraham's place and that's what I receive. That that's who you are to me and that's what I do with you. How about that? Um, I'm not real young. I'm 68, you know, and I've, I've, I've got quite some years left. But, but you know, I'm excited about entering into new things. Amen. I am excited about it. I mean, I am thoroughly excited about it. I love it. And I, I can sense it. And I'm seeing more of it. You know, I mean, where at one time I wouldn't have thought that way. I, not about the things I'm thinking about now. Okay. So what's a couple reasons? Well, look at Isaiah 49. Verse 14. But Zion said, I'm going to read a few verses, and then I'm going to talk about them. 
Isaiah 49, 14. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. So the Lord's saying, this is what my people are saying. Inside themselves. See, this is an individual saying this. And this is an individual having experienced things where they, they maybe had a hope for something, and, they, and things didn't go the way they had hoped, and it was disappointing. And so they accepted the disappointment and the lack of fulfillment and actually thought, has God forgotten me? I'm alone. I, you know, this doesn't work for me or that doesn't work. And so has, there is an experience or experiences where they encountered, it felt like nothing. And they didn't see something happen. And inside of themselves, they pictured them standing alone and God not looking at them and the Lord not with them. And the Lord's heart, they didn't picture the Lord, you know, do, working in them and doing things. So they'll just be themselves. And it's almost like God forgot them. And it's a conversation that goes on inside. And, and I know many times it enters the consciousness through moods and feelings. And they don't even put it in words like this. But it's a belief down inside. It's a, it's a heart level belief. If you listen to them long enough, you'll hear hints of it. It'll, it'll, if you listen to it long enough and how the, they, they talk, you'll hear words that come from that belief. In Proverbs it says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Okay, so let's go on down. But Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord answers the inner dialogue that's going on within the person. The Lord speaks to that heart level place where that lie is speaking to the person. And they're engaging with that lie and coming to their own conclusions. Did you hear that? The Lord speaks to that level within their heart. And he says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? It's like that's unthinkable. But then look what he says. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. I will not forget you. He has unceasing affections towards you. Affections towards you all the time for, for you to connect with. He's a father. He's a good father. And he's given us his son to be our life, to be our portion. To fellowship with him continually. He said, I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you. You can even say engraved you on the palms of my hands. And here's Jesus. Well, let's just see if this bookmark stays this time and doesn't get blown away. Okay, so here's Jesus and, and who you are when he says, I've inscribed you and engraved you on the palms of my hands. And he's interceding before the Father on your behalf. Do you think what's written on his hands is your idea of who you are? Or do you think it's God's idea? What's written on his hands? Oh, yeah. When he says, I've inscribed you, which you? 
The you that you believe or the you that God created and the, and, and, and the, the purpose of, that God created you for? Which you is it? Oh, it's not my you. It's his you. And you have a high priest who's interceding before the Father for that you to come forth and for you to know that you. And he's not going to do anything else. He's not going to intercede for anybody else. And he has secured from the Father the flow of the river of life that flows out from under the, the throne of God and of the Lamb. And everything it touches, it brings to life. And if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of water. Okay? So... I'm thirsty for who I am. How about you? Because it's only that you that can fellowship with Jesus. It's only that you that can walk with Jesus. It's only that you that can bring glory to the Lamb. It's, see, it's only that you can, that, that can be satisfied. I mean, really satisfied. Yeah. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. Well, this bookmarker, it's a sticky note, so it sticks there. It didn't get blown away. That worked. Okay. I know, I'm a little obsessed with this, aren't I? Okay. But anyways, let's go back. Okay. I have engraved you or inscribed you, Psalm, I mean, Isaiah 49, verse 16, on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Now, what on earth? Why would he say that? Well, back then, you know, any village better have walls around it. Any city, any town, you know, unless you were, uh, you know, nomads who... Um, had Bedouins who had these tents, you know, that they were constantly on the move. They were a mobile people. They weren't, you know, they didn't do agriculture and all, you know, things like that and crafts and things. They were always on the move with their herds, going to somewhere else, somewhere else to get water and, and food for their animals. But other than that, everybody else better have walls. Because back in those days, in the spring of every year, the Bible talks about this, was the time when kings. Now, when kings, that doesn't mean kings of Nations, like they had city-states. Every city had a king over it. And it was like a city-state. And, and, and um, in the spring of the year, they would all go out and go shopping. Um, see, back then you didn't go to Walmart or go to the mall. You didn't even go online to Amazon when you wanted something. No, you went to another place that had lots of loot and you besieged them, you broke down their walls, you went in and murdered everybody you wanted, and you took their stuff. That's how you went shopping. I mean, it was, that's just the way it was back then. That's how you got stuff. Okay, and you took all the females to be yours or whatever, and you'd kill you know, anybody who could probably do something. You may take some men as slaves, you know, but you took the loot. Now, that, that was the normal way of shopping back then. I'm glad I don't live back then, okay. So that's what they did. And it was just accepted. That's what, that's what would happen. Your walls are continually before me because your walls is what, you, what would protect you from those shoppers. You got it? From the enemy who would come in. And the thief comes about to steal, kill, and destroy. That's right. The walls is the God-given protection around you. And there are things that can happen to, br to bring a breach or a break in the wall. It talks about in Proverbs that, that, um, that he who has no control over his inner life is like, um, it's like a city whose walls are broken 
broken down and the enemy can go in and out at will. And it's, it's because in those walls, there are several element, elements that come together that end up, that result in walls of protection around us. One of them is just simply your God-given conscience. Unbelievers have this. And it, it, it can save them from uh, a lot of unnecessary attack from the enemy if they just follow their conscience. And some do it better than others. Seriously, everybody has that. And it can keep you from doing the most stupid things. Sometimes people do it anyways. Okay? Another is, is the ability to think reasonably and to see, you know, one plus one is going to equal two, you know. And so if I do this and this, this is going to be the consequences. I don't want that. And God's good. He's given everyone those natural abilities. Another thing is he gives his families so that there's protection there. I know all these things can be corrupted. I mean, he's given this to every human being. And within that family life, there is protection. There's security. You know you're loved. And you can find something of your identity. This is for unbelievers, too. God is good. He makes the rain, the fall, and the sun to shine on the good and the evil. Okay? There are things that break down the walls. Personal sin. Generational sin, where ancestors have given themselves over to evil spirits. And it's like they made a contract with that spirit, and it follows down through the family line. Trauma and victimization break down the walls. Okay? There are things that cause, cause breach in the walls. So why does it speak here in Isaiah 49 as the Lord says, I, I have not forgotten you. You are inscribed and engraved on my hands, I hold up before the Father who you really, really are, and as I'm interceding and praying for you, your walls are continually before me. Because a lot of the reasons that we don't know who we are is because there's a breach somewhere in the wall, and the enemy comes in and out, and he tells us who we are. Did you hear that? And so we make a different, a, a, a definition of our personality according to that, and it's not true. There, there may be, you know, you, know, you may have a pretty good handle on it, but you've, you're, you've been limited in, you know, in certain areas that God never intended you to be limited there. Your walls are continually before me. Continually, he's interceding for you to understand what these breaches in the walls are and in his light to see that and understand that and to look at the defeated enemy. He is already defeated. You have authority over him. Okay? And to understand, oh, this is what the breach is. This is how my thinking has gone and aligned with the enemy. Or this is how this, these actions are. Or this is what's... And you open up to God in that area and he gives you truth. And as you receive it and walk in it, you see, God moves in the light. So you're always walking in the light with Jesus, asking him for, for more light. Listen, it's not you trying, you know, if you're good enough at this, it'll work. No, it's your high priest who says, I'm interceding for the real you that's engraved on my hands to come forth. And I'm looking at your walls and I'm praying for you to get the revelation and all those breaches in the walls be shored up, be built up. And I'm sending people your way to help you. This is reality. Lean into it. Say, yes. And I will be that person. I don't have to be broken. I don't have to be broken. 
I don't have to be broken. I don't have to be broken. I love those words. Jesus knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Man, he knows what he's doing. And so I look at him and I say, the Jesus that it talks about here, that's who you are. And that's who you are to me. I like it. I mean, this stuff is real. I experience this measure by measure, bit by bit, step by step. And I love it. Seriously. Every once in a while, you get a big one. You know what I mean? That makes a big difference. Usually, it's just over time, the Lord shows you things. You believe it. You walk in it. You, you experience more of it. Things that bugged you before, they just don't bug you anymore. But it would have been impossible for that to happen. It would have been impossible. You know, without Jesus interceding for you and the Spirit of God revealing to you, you see, and people loving you and teaching you. I'm serious. It would be just utterly impossible. But I'm telling you now, it's not impossible. In fact, it's the norm for the believer. You know what the norm for the believer is? Let me tell you. It's gauged by three things. One thing, the heart of the Father. And that determines what's normal for you. What God in his heart loves and what he does and his desire for you and what he's planned for you. So that's one variable right there that determines what's normal for you. The heart of your father. The second thing that determines it is what did Jesus do on the cross? What did he do so that you can be free to enter in to the land of your inheritance? To what extent does his death on the cross set you free? Does it fully do that so you can enter fully the land of your inheritance? Does it fully provide all punitive measures against your personal sin so that there's no more judgment against you and there's not a rod in God's hand, his hand, that when you come to him, he's looking at your failures and there's going to be punitive action going on right now. You're going to be punished. How great is the death of Jesus on the cross? How, what does it mean to be justified by faith? It, it means just as if I'd never sinned. So this second standard by which you are to find out what's normal for you is what Jesus did on the cross. A third thing is, what's he doing, his present day ministry on your behalf? We often don't think about this. Man, we'd be dead in the water, sitting ducks, if, if he wasn't our high priest right now. Amen. Just forget it. You couldn't take the first things and say, first two things I said, the heart of God and what Jesus did on the cross. I got it. I got it now. I can do this. Okay? I don't even need a map. I just, I, it's in my head. I got it. You know what I mean? I can, I can work this out. No, you can't. It's, it's the intercession of Jesus that releases specifically the moving of the Holy Spirit in you for exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Okay? And so these things determine what's normal. Now, that's a pretty high normal, isn't it? That's a pretty high normal. But it's actually normal. If you were up in heaven walking around, you'd say, why did I ever think anything else is normal? Like, duh, where was I? Right. 
I was in a fog. I was in a cloud. And I think that's normal. And just to get a little better and stick my head above the fog a little bit and, and you know, see a few things happen, I think that's normal. Are you kidding me? That's not normal. So he says here in Isaiah 49, verse 16, Behold, I've inscribed you, or you could say engraved you, on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Well, are they continually in his heart? And is he interceding because he sees what condition your walls are in? Yeah, he is, isn't he? Okay, let's go on. Your builders hurry. Now, I'm prophesying to this. Listen, church, and every individual here, and if you're listening somewhere else and you love Jesus, listen to me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. He's interceding. And he says, right now is the time. As a result of me holding the real you before the Father and looking at what you need in your walls, I'm moving in the builders who will build you up. I'm moving in the ministry of my spirit, of my angels, of my pastors, my teachers, of a brother or sister who loves you. I'm moving them in. They're hurrying. Your builders, revelation and truth and understanding is coming to you. Empowerment is coming to you so that you can see and break agreement with the lies of the enemy, the deep hidden lies, heart level lies. He will bring into the light. They will not be hidden in the darkness because those lies are the things that bind us. Generally, it's the things we don't know that trip us up, not the things we know. And the things we know, we understand, and we just say, i got to try harder. i got to do better because I know this. Yes, there are some things where we do have to make a commitment to the Lord. If you'll do that, things are changed. But you know what often trips us up with people who are sincere in following Jesus? It's what they don't know. And they can keep trying harder, and that just doesn't work. It's what they don't know. But God is light. In Psalm 18, David said, You light my lamp. You illuminate my darkness. For you, through you, I can run through a troop. I can leap over a wall. You make my hands to bend a bow of bronze. I pursue my enemy. He cries out for help, but there is none. And I pour him out like mire upon the streets. I pursue him, and he is unable to act. He's unable to function. And then in the middle of all that, you know what David said? I mean, in the middle of all that, he said, your gentleness has made me great. Read it, Psalm 18. How did he get that greatness? Because of the gentleness of God, coming to him where he was, lighting his lamp. That's the, your spirit. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. That's what it says in Proverbs. By lighting your lamp, because David would look right at God and just look at him and his inner man would be lit and then his darkness was illuminated. He could see where the enemy was in the darkness and pursue him and do him in good. How about some of that working? Who you are is engraved and inscribed on my hands. I've not forgotten you. I will never forget you. 
and I hold you continually before my Father as I look at your walls, and I'm saying, builders, hurry. Come on, hurry now, now, now. Come, come, come. Builders, come. The operation of God in his kingdom so that in his light you see light. Now, I, I talked about this last night. I don't know if I did the night before or not. This operation with the kingdom of God, when things are brought into the light, they can't lie to you anymore. You see them for what they are. And you see yourself for what you are. You, you really do. And you see who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. And in this area where God is bringing into light, it doesn't nullify who you are in Christ. But you, as you are in Christ, you see, bring it to the Father, you agree with him with whatever he says about what's brought into the light. The enemy has lost his permission to work there, and you command him to go. And he's no longer part of the inner landscape of your thinking and your emotions, telling you that it's just part of you. Ooh, isn't that interesting? God, light my lamp and illuminate my darkness. Hallelujah. If David hadn't that in his relationship with God, David wouldn't be in the Bible. Life told him that he was the youngest son and that he really wasn't much better than one of the hired hands. For when Samuel came, when Samuel came and said, Jesse, that's David's father, bring all your sons out. I mean, listen, Samuel was this prophet who would tell you, okay, guys, all of you, all of you repent now and make a covenant with God. You know, he would call all the elders and princes and nobles of the land to get together from the different tribes. He said, we, we, we need to renew covenant. You need to put away your idols and renew covenant. And just to let you know that what I'm saying is of God, listen to this. And then the lightning, the thunder would come. I mean, the thunder would, I mean, like, who does that? Seriously. He was a prophet on that level. You know, he, I, I mean, good night. It's like Moses was a prophet that Israel needed when they were in bondage. Samuel was a prophet that was needed when, you know, they had gone into the land, but they were disobedient. They were all broke up. They weren't walking into covenant. He was the one that was needed for that. Okay, so that prophet goes to Jesse and says, bring your sons out. Listen, when that guy comes, I mean, I mean, you know, that is like, that is huge. I mean, it's like if the president comes to your house, I don't know if you like this president or not, but just imagine you do, okay? If the president comes to your house and says, I want you to bring all your sons out, you wouldn't say, man, eh, what for? What are you up to? I don't think so. I mean, what an error? No. Okay, so guess what Jesse did? He had all of his sons come out, and Samuel went and prayed for each one, and went down the line, down the line. He said, oh, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, no, I don't judge by outward appearance. I judge by the heart. He goes, oh. And then he, then he, he prays in front of each one of them, stands there, and he has no witness in his spirit that any of these are the guys that he's to anoint as the new king in Israel. And he's like, what's up? You don't have any more sons? And someone says, well, there's one out there somewhere with the sheep. 
His father didn't even consider him worthy enough to be even slightly eligible or to even think that perhaps the prophet had something for him. Why didn't they send a servant out there and bring the son in? That's pathetic. So they bring him in. He's anointed and the Holy Spirit comes on him from that day forth. Ah, the Spirit of God left Saul and demons came to him. But David got the anointing. He went back out there and he had a heart for God and now he has anointing on him and he has visions of God. And he's just, he's writing Psalms and in the Spirit of God. He's making contact like he never did before with the Spirit of God upon him. And he learned to get revelation from God. He, you see, he grew up in an atmosphere of rejection. And when he's real young and his older brothers are out fighting in the war and they're supposed to be taking down Goliath and every day they'd get together and have a war cry. Ha, let's go get him. And then they'd look at Goliath and he'd come out and threaten him and they'd all turn their backs and run and go back to their lines again. I think this is for 40 days. It's ridiculous. You know what I mean? You know. And so David goes there to the battlefield because his father said, here, take some food for your brothers, but take this for his, your brother's commander, you know, cheese and bread or whatever, something like that. And the brother said, you insolent thing. Why are you here? How did you sneak away from those fields out in the middle of nowhere tending the sheep? Get back to your job, you insolent little snot, you. Basically, that's how they talked to him. He grew up in that. Did life ever tell him he would be David, the David of the Bible? Did he have lots of opportunities to think that's not me, the, the real David? I think, I, I think that's just a little picture of what he experienced. I want to know the real me. I want to know that God created me. I want that. Okay? And I don't want those feelings inside of me coming up telling me who I am. So, reasons why, I said I'd give two reasons why we don't see our real self. One is past experiences of failure. Pat, you know, and another one is you hear the enemy's accusations. You hear him telling you what you're not. You hear him telling you things. And it's, it's a constant stream of accusation. It's just constant. Okay, and um, and and it's 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 based on deception. Listen, his main two tools are accusation and deception. That's where he gets most of his power from. Okay, seriously, that is. And what God says is, well, I'll tell you what he says in a minute. As soon as I find it, I may have had something in that verse, and it may have blown away. Lord, where's my verse? Okay. Oh, I'm in Psalms. No. Wow. That was supposed to be in Isaiah. No wonder I couldn't find it there. Hold on a minute. Hold on. I'll be right with you. This message is a little different for me this morning. Okay. Isaiah 43. I thought it was 43. I should have just turned there. Verse 25. The Lord has not forgotten 
He's not forgotten you. And listen to what the Father says. You may see yourself in some ways. It may not even be something from the past. It may be some character flaw or some issue. And you're like the guy in Romans 7. What I hate to do, I keep doing. I keep thinking or acting these way. I have these impulses. Okay? And you may, and you may picture yourself according to that. Okay? Now, I want you to, to listen to what the Lord says. 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Whose sake does he do it for? For my own sake. He wants you now, as you are, even if you're struggling with something. He, for his own sake, his own desire to fellowship with you, to be with you, for you to open up to his presence and experience him, that satisfies him. Why would he create you in the first place? Just so you can do religious jobs? Now that's pathetic. To have you as his son or his daughter. And so for his own sake, he's motivated. And he, he wipes out our transgressions. Our, transgression is you cross the line you're not supposed to. Sin can be, one definition of sin is, you may even be trying, but you keep falling short. Okay? And he wipes it out for his own sake. He says, listen to me. I'm not looking at that. I wipe it out and I forget it and I look at you. Look at me. That's amazing, isn't it? And so another reason why is because current troubles, current issues, current things you're stuck on, that it seems like you just can't get out of that. You see? And your sins aren't forgiven and forgotten when finally you've worked your way out of that. You'll never get out of it that way. It's through intimacy with the Father's heart and his love that you get out of that. Okay. For my own sake, I have forgiven and wiped out your sins and transgressions. And don't tell him that that's not right, that that's just God playing mental gymnastics with you. And he's telling you, well, I want you to feel good, so I'm I, I have forgiven you, but really it's for your sake, you little sinner. You're a mess. No, that's not what he's doing. He, he would be wrong not to do that after having sent his son and punishing his son for those sins. And when you believe, you're out. You're not a child of wrath. You're no longer by nature a child of wrath. By nature, you're a daughter of God. You're a son of God. You're very nature. You're in the family. He's your father. And he fathers you. He looks at why you're doing that, not just the fact that you're doing it. Wow, isn't that good? He looks at what's going on, and his son is continually interceding so that his son who offered up the perfect sacrifice and who is the righteous, pure, holy one at his right hand is praying for you. So even if you're falling short, the intercession of Jesus Christ and his high priestly ministry keeps you in a state where your sins and transgressions are forgiven, washed away, and he forgets them. And he relates to you as a father relating to a dear, beloved daughter or son. And his affections are, are boiling up out of him and overflowing on you. Receive it. Yes. 
This is a good salvation, isn't it? This is real. This is the gospel. I've not forgotten you, Jesus says. I did what the Father set me to do. I gave myself up for you. And in being raised from the dead, I continually live unto God, unto the Father. For your sakes, I continually intercede and present you and confess you before the Father. Jesus is confessing your name and the real you before the Father. And and God is righteous to forgive and forget your sins and to come to you as a father and deliver you and to speak truth, to light your lamp and illuminate your darkness. He is righteous and just to do that. It would be unrighteous for him not to do that at this point. After what Christ has done and who Christ is and what Christ is doing in his intercession, it would be wrong for God not to do that. He would be unrighteous if he wasn't that way towards you. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. Teach us how to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. God's good, isn't he? He's he's really, he's, he's just really good. He's really good. Anything in you that has fear that God is going to punish you, that's torment. Anything that keeps you, in some measure, drawn back from God. Oh, sometimes you forget it and you enter and do this or that. You feel really happy in the Lord. And then you remember what you think is yourself and you feel distance from God again. All of that is the result of demonic deception. Wounding of your heart and the enemy working through those wounds to deceive you. That's, that's, that's all that is. It has nothing to do with God's heart towards you. Nothing to do at all with what Jesus is interceding for you and how God feels about you. Nothing, 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 nothing to do with that. Did you hear that? Oh, praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, thank you. So when you get revelation out of the word of God, man, you write it down and say, this is, this is me. This is who I am. It's what I do. And if, or if someone prophesies over you or you hear a, a, a prophecy in a meeting and man, and it just speaks to your heart, you write that down and say, yeah, Jesus, you're, you're lighting my lamp. The revelation of who I am in you is coming through. Listen, the number one reason that believers struggle is because they don't know who they are in Christ. And, and through that, they don't relate to God on the reality of being a new creation in Christ so that they can grow. That's the number one. You may say, well, how about this kind of sin or that kind of sin or that kind of sin? Well, yes, those, those things. But <laughs> they can't. Listen, everybody's God. Everyone has this flesh. Everyone has issues. I'm serious. Every human being. So God starts on the inside, makes you a new creation. You're put in Christ, and Christ is in you. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, serious, if you don't know the reality of that, you can't get over anything. You can just outwardly do programs. Seriously. And maybe get to where your gifts will operate some, but you yourself aren't very happy, and you're limited. The number one reason is because we don't know what God has done for us in Christ and who you actually are now on the inside. Now, that's not your soul and your body, but you are a spiritual being. And you have a God-given, soulish personality and function. 
and you express, you express yourself through that God-given personality and soulless function through your body. But you are a born-again, clean, pure spirit being. A child of God. Wow. That's who you are in Christ. You see, that's powerful, isn't it? Okay. So let's end on Isaiah 54. Now listen, if I prophesied over each one of you, it would not be, and you know, for, and it, could, it could be in many different ways for, these, for the truth of what I'm saying now to go in your heart. It would be no more powerful than what I'm presenting right now from the word. Do, do you hear that? Take this as the voice of God talking to you. Okay? Seriously, take it that way. Okay? I, Isaiah 54. I was praying for someone one time. And I was disgusted because of their, how I was perceiving their stubbornness, their rebellion, their just, their complicity with horrendous things that they, that wasn't their past life, their um, just refusal to, to get out of it. And I went to God with that attitude and he rebuked me. And I said a couple words, because I went to pray for this person, and, and I said a couple words, but I had this anger inside. And God rebuked me. He said, don't you ever talk to me that way about that person. Don't you ever do that. I mean, it was, it was the strongest rebuke I've ever got. Man, did I get it. I had no idea of things that had happened to this person. And had they been in their shoes, I don't know what I'd be either. I had no idea of the extent of things that this person had experienced. Stuff that can destroy you, literally. And sometimes those seeds come out later in life. I had no idea. Okay. And the Lord gave me these scriptures after he rebuked me. As I was praying for this person. Starting in verse 9, Isaiah 54. For this is like the days of Noah to me when I swore that the waters of Noah would not flood the earth again. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor I rebuke you. That's what God had me prophesy over this person. They would not be overcome by a flood again, and God was not rebuking them. And they were really in their sin at that time. Let's read on. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This person at a young age had entered into a covenant with God, but then through trauma and other things and, and then giving in to the enemy just went wild for some years. Just wild. Okay? And these are the verses God gave me to believe and to speak over this person. Okay? Now look at the next verses. Verse 11, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, and your foundations I will, lay in, I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal and your entire wall of precious stones. Your walls are continually before me. Who you are, says the Lord Jesus, is engraved on my hands. I know who you really are, and I know what's happened. 
But my intercession is bringing forth the tenderness of the Father's heart. And as he reveals himself to you, these qualities of his heart are like these gemstones that will come into you and transform you. And you will have a foundation. You'll have battlements and walls of protection. And it comes out of the glories that are in my Father's heart for you. And I'm interceding. And you will encounter the God. You will encounter the Lord God, your Father. And he will build you up because I see your walls. And my intercession is not in vain. I think we should believe this. What do you think? I think we should believe this. You read the rest of Isaiah 54 on your own. Because that's if, 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 if I were to read the rest of it and start talking on it, it'd be another whole sermon. And it's like quarter after 12. I'm not going to do that. But in the context of the verses we just talked about, and even the example I gave you, Okay, read the rest of these verses. Put them in a context. Okay, the context of one who is so messed up. And their sin and the consequences of their sin has, was like a flood that came over them. A destructive flood. And God says, there won't be any more floods. God's saying, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not rebuking you. I'm not angry with you. Oh, afflicted one, storm-tossed. You... You do not even have control over the things that are happening to you. They're tossing you over the place. I'm going to come to you as your father and relate to you in such a way that the preciousness of the things that are in my heart are going to bring forth who you really are, and you will be built up. And you will not fear. Oppression will be far from you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Read the rest of that, what it says. Every tongue that's against you. You will no longer listen to the inward accuser, but you will accuse the accuser. And cast him down. Read the rest of this on your own. It's good. I started talking about it. I better stop. Okay. It's powerful. Read who it's written to. It's not written to the strong overcoming Christian and he's there. No, it's written to the one who's so weak they get tossed all over the place. That's who it's written to. Isn't that something? Okay. I put my... Trust in you, Lord Jesus. You are my hiding place. Your name is a high tower. I, I, I run to you, and I am lifted up on high. And, and I trust your intercession. You're, you're the, perfect, the perfect high priest for me. You're the perfect head, my living head in my life. You, you are amazing, Lord Jesus. I trust you. I confess you as my king, my life, my high priest. As the apostle sent forth from the Father... Having done the work the Father gave you to do and returning as my high priest. That's what it says in Hebrews. The apostle and high priest of our confession. And I confess that's who you are to me, Lord Jesus. And you have secured the legally perfect, continual display of the Father's affection to my heart and understood by my heart, received and understood the transformative love of the Father. You have secured that in a way that no accusation can stop. I will not believe the accuser. You have, your blood has forgiven, wiped clean my sins and transgressions, and the Father remembers them no more but beholds me. That is the words in my mouth that I confess. That's the reality I partake of. You light my lamp and illuminate my darkness. For by you, 
I see the enemy. He's not in the darkness. And I run right through him. I leap over the walls that are imposed. I leap right over him. You light my lamp with the revelation of who you are, of your covenant very being towards me. I love you, Daddy, Father. I love you. Come on, I'm, I'm showing you how I talk to God. You guys talk to God that way, okay? I'm showing you how I talk to him. I eat his word, it goes into me, and I speak it back to him. Look at him looking at you. Look at him looking at you. Beholding you, beholding your walls. Releasing the essence and the purity of what's in the Father's heart to you. Undiluted. The reality and essence of what's in the Father's heart. Undiluted. Going into your spirit. Drop by drop. Every drop so concentrated, so undiluted and so pure. Drop by drop by drop, going into your spirit. That's right. Lighting the lamp of your spirit. That's what you're doing, Father. And I walk in the light, and the evil one doesn't touch me. Because as I walk in the light, Satan, you are who you are, the loser. And I, who, I am who I am. I'm the one who has the mystery, Christ in me. The mystery that changes everything, Christ in me. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Now, tell him how you're going to talk to him. Are you going to talk to him the way I just talked to him? Tell Abba Father, Daddy Father, how you're going to talk to him now. You're going to believe in the intercession of Jesus? You're going to believe that he sees your walls, that he's not punitively acting towards you? That means punishing you for unjust deeds you've done? Or is he your father? Tell him how you're going to talk to him. According to the revelation of your word or according to the deception and accusations of the enemy. Let him know right now. Tell him. Tell him how you want to talk to him. As you talk to him with those words, you're actually partaking of his nature. You're eating him and feeding on him. As I live by the living Father. So he who eats me, John 6, Jesus said, so he who eats me shall live by me. Take words and eat him, partake of him. This is who you are. And Lord, this is not something I do when the guest speaker comes. This is the rest of my life. I'll just walk with you all the time. Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say I am? And then he got the lowdown on what people were saying. And then he said, but who do you say that I am? He wants you to say to him who he is. Look at him looking at you. And tell him how you will talk to him. And that you'll say, 
presently, right now, what his heart towards you is, what he's doing through his intercession, what the Father's doing, what he's bringing you into, the newness of things that could have been hidden from you, that the Father is, is working in your life and will bring forth things, okay? Talk to him that way. Eat of that. It's not something you mentally figure out. It's something you eat spiritually. It goes into your spirit. For the words that I speak are life, are spirit and life. The flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit of God who gives life. And the words that I speak are spirit and life. The words that you've heard today are that which conveys the life operation of Holy Spirit. To light your lamp. So I will take those words and I will receive them. I will chew on them and swallow them and speak them back to you. It's not a mental exercise. It's life in the spirit. It's walking in the spirit. And the Holy Spirit will take you, go, take you and take you and you will go somewhere that your mind could never go. It could never take you there. Never take you there. I eat these words as the prophets were given a scroll and they ate them. And after they ate the scrolls, read it in the prophets whenever he'd give them a scroll. Words would come out of their mouth and they would speak them to God and over individuals and nations. Eat the word of God. Don't put your mind into it and say, well, what about, what about, shut up, mind. Shut up. This isn't your realm. Eat them. Partake of Christ and eat them. And they go into you and then begin to speak back to God on the basis of those words. This is how I will speak to you, God. And God, I'm sorry for talking to you other ways that came out of my mind and came out of the proddings of the devil. And then I would talk to you as if that stuff's true. I'm sorry, Father. I want, I want to see, light my lamp. I want to see and talk to you out of that illumination, out of that revelation. This is kind of good, isn't it? I mean, I, I get excited about this. I start yelling, you know, all that business. Okay, um, it's 25 after 12. Perhaps we're done. Basically, as far as the message, the message, I think we are. 